Welcome to Their Very Best, the podcast where total amateurs make wild proclamations about the work of expert professional musicians, despite having no actual qualifications. I'm Waldron Faulkner. And I'm Bill Noto. Thanks for joining us for wild, unsolicited opinions about The Cure. So, hey, Stephen Hammond, we're extremely pleased to have you with us tonight. I'm so excited to welcome you as our guest. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, I'm excited to be here as well, Bill. This is going to be good. I'll just share a couple things about Stephen. I've known Stephen for a long time, at least since 1991, when I was 16, and we were at a summer camp together. I remember you playing Creep by Radiohead on your bass at a campfire and I think that was my introduction to Radiohead I don't remember doing that however I believe you 100% (laughs) okay perfect so let me do a quick format note here so the format is going to be a 3 by 3 but instead of having it be me and Bill it's going to be Stephen and Bill because I'm not a The Cure So I'm here to learn, I'm here to listen, I'll be playing the songs because it gives me something to do, makes me feel important. Wait, did you say The Cure? Okay, (laughs) good joke. (laughs) All day I was listening to The Cult. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm I'm gonna go first, and my first pick is So What? Off of three imaginary boys. Decorated set. That's a nice one. I'll just tell you that I was listening to this album at Hannaford. And <laughs> Hannaford is the local grocery store, Stephen. Uh, the local supermarket. I was shopping for the, you know, groceries for the week. And I thought this song was just totally happening and it started popping my head. And I was like... I was that guy dancing with his headphones on as he was looking at the eggs. <laughs> I was really glad no one in my family could see me, but I was having a great time. Yeah, this is um, this is probably you know the second album that I got. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's like a lot of this stuff was high school stuff for them. It feels like that. Like there's a, on the same album, there's a cover of Foxy Lady. Right. And uh, when that's playing, it really feels like kids, like experimenting in a garage. You know, it sounds great too. I really loved reading the uh, Wikipedia page on this thing because it tells the story of every... Of every like kid high school band, <laughs> like they start their thirteen and they're in the school and they play the like assembly or whatever, yeah. and and you know and and they just keep going. Or they, or I, I guess it's just Robert Smith, but like it, he keeps on going, keeps on going, and makes it big. You know, I love that story. You know, it, it, yeah. it says, yes, go ahead, get a garage, get a bass, <laughs> rock out, get a guitar. You know, be 13, be 14, and start playing music, and it can happen to you. I love that. 
Yeah, I think in the 70s into the 80s, it was that core high school crew. He even, I, I could be wrong, but I believe he even married his high school girlfriend and he's just been with her forever. Wow. Which is ironic because a lot of his music, if you listen to it, often sounds like he's talking about doing weird stuff with weird people. So, <laughs> but he's been married the whole time. <laughs> hmm. We talked about this, when was it? We were talking about how sometimes you write a song and it's not like a expose of your own personal experience or life. It's a, it's a sort of a fiction thing. I, th I think he's good at that. He's known for being crafty with his words and poetic, and I'm sure a lot of it's imagination. But you never know. He's a rock star, so you never know. Could be everything. Could be, yeah. All the above. Could be a, a mix of these things. What, what hooked you into that one? I think it was the bass line. Like, just a lot of these songs have really melodic and bouncy bass lines that I liked. Yeah, I would say that's his punk phase before he goes post-punk. Yeah, I hear influences from, like, The Clash. Is that... I don't know. I know that... So here's the thing with Robert Smith is that he's notorious for misleading you through the media. And he does a lot of interviews, especially in the 80s, where he's just dropping fiction all the time. Right. Um, but what I don't think is fiction is sometimes he talks about what his influences were. And I think Hendrix was... He, he has said Hendrix is hmm. one of his influences, I, I guess, as a guitar player. Even though he ends up creating a genre, which I hope we talk about it. Like, we should. Let's talk about it. Yeah, I mean, you could say he's at the forefront of creating an entire genre that then splinters off into many genres. But, you know, he has Hendrix, he has all those 70s bands, a lot of American bands. But then he ends up in this other place, this dark wave sort of goth. I guess goth is what I'm talking about. And he, um, it, I don't see the progression from Hendrix to goth. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting question. What's the difference between listening to and enjoying something and then being influenced by it? I don't hear the Hendrix influence in it, but it doesn't mean he didn't listen to a lot of Hendrix and get into it. You know? Now it's your turn to, to make a pick. Well, my pick is going to be from a group of albums that came after Three Imaginary Boys. The band creates that sound that they, I guess, for that time period, become known for, which some people consider one of the origins of goth, I guess. Of those three albums, Pornography is my favorite, and on that is a song called Siamese Twins, and I think it, like, if you could make an extract in a bottle of goth, that would be the perfect way to introduce what they sort of started. You know, there's no more um, fast tempo punk at this point. You've cut the tempo down drastically. But you get, I think you get introduced to a couple things that are stereotypical Cure and Robert Smith, which is he puts his, his vocals in the forefront of the mix and it's a distinctive vocal. It's almost an extra instrument in the band. A lot of British fans, I think, tried to emulate American singers and he just left, let his accent hang out there. Huh. So this is goth in a bottle to you? This is goth in a bottle. This is the most stripped down... Liquid goth. This is like the most stripped down I like it. version of it. There's a lot of good songs in the uh, 
first three, but before they get into their popularity in the mid 80s where pop, pop comes, starts to come out. Steven, did you have a goth phase in life? I was thinking about this a lot, Bill, because of this show. I think for goth, a lot of people, it's an aesthetic. Obviously, he himself has created his own aesthetic. Yeah. I went to a pretty big suburban high school, maybe 2000. This is like 1985. And I think that, you know, pretty John Hughes, where there's like four people that are right. alternative and the rest are just regular. <laughs> like the, the Breakfast Club. Yeah, it was Breakfast Yeah, there was one Judd Nelson. There was a Robert Smith. There was a Cindy Lauper. Right. And then everyone else was just like sweaters and corduroys. Uh huh. I, I was not a in the aesthetic of it, but you know my path to the cure was this. For me, the cure is legitimate, but it's not something I like. I never, I never felt I, like I identified with the aesthetic of it. Um, mm, okay, got but it. But I definitely get the emotion of it. Mm -hmm. For the music, but not for the fashion and the makeup. For sure. Well, Billy, I'd like to hear what you got. Okay, so. My next pick is Play for Today off of 17 Seconds. Do you like that one, Stephen? This is from 1980. That's not on my list, so I get to hear it, which is great. Awesome. What is it called? I'm sorry. Play for Today. And there's a deluxe edition of 17 Seconds. I never choose the deluxe edition, Billy. Why? Why? <laughs> because it's got a lot of extra stuff on there that wasn't on the album. So if you want yeah, to hear yeah. the album as yeah, a yeah, yeah. cohesive thing, which yeah. hardly anyone ever does, <laughs> August, we had a um, a moment, August and I, a few, like a month ago, where he was like, Dad, will you please play all of Dark Side of the Moon? And because he knew that that was an album and that people used to listen to albums. Like this was a thing he wanted to try. <laughs> you were like, will I ever? <laughs> yeah, we listened to it, it was fun. I bet it was fun. Let's let's talk about this song for a second. Yeah. This feels more like MTV Cure to me. <laughs> like it feels like it's got that pop thing happening. I would say it's not, it's not, I mean, they get way poppier than this down the road. Uh-huh. But for those three albums, yeah, this is a pretty fast, upbeat. Yeah, I love the tempo and, again, the bass. I love the guitars. There's sort of like this angular thing happening on the guitar part, the, not the rhythm part. And also that, I don't know, it's like a whip crack sound. <laughs> right? It's very industrial sounding, right? Yeah. It sounds like totally. there's something going on at the factory next to the studio. So, totally. They had this guy, Lowell Tolhurst, who ends up getting kicked out of the band in, I think, 87. But prior to that, in the mid, in the mid 80s, he got migrated off the drum. Hmm. Because this is pretty much, it's, 
This is, I think, the the limit to his capabilities at this mm-hmm. this song. <laughs> In terms of tempo or like bass drum complexity or what? I, I don't know. I'm yeah. I'm I'm obviously short selling him, but um, he got moved to keyboards when they be expanded and became more of a five piece. Oh, okay. So it's a, kind of an upgrade. <laughs> I mean, the, ru- the rumor is that he was just way too much of a drunk to really take on tour anymore. In other words, he he couldn't keep it together to play the drums, Wajan. So <laughs> he was the schoolmate. So he didn't. He hung out for a long time because it, yeah. he was a schoolmate. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I wonder, like. There's probably some great visualization we could do with sort of the average of how the schoolmates drop off of a band right. as time progresses. <laughs> you know, is there is there a guitar effect on that rhythm guitar, like a phaser or a flanger? Do you hear that? Yes, and I don't know, but I'd say it's a phaser. I think it's a phaser too. You're up. So let's leave the let's leave the the goth three. And then when they sort of started to get popular, especially in the college circuit, I think, mid-80s, there were a couple albums they did that that the lineup changed. They got a different drummer at one point. They got a different bass player. And then they had an album, Head in the Door, which has six different ways. Ooh, now the drums are much more sophisticated. Yeah. You're starting to get closer to their later lineup. Uh Uh-huh. More synths start coming in. Oh my god. That feels like 1985. Big pads. It's definitely got a sort of talking heads kind of vibe. Like there's weird stuff just popping in and... The way this piano is being played is weird and different. I like it. I like this best of all so far, you guys. What is it about this song, Stephen? It's a good question what it's about. I, I like it because it's, a, it's different. It's on that album where they're getting poppy. I don't know, there's a lot of quirks in it. I like this vocal performance too. I mean, it's definitely him, but it feels, it doesn't feel like it's like another of the same from back in the sort of like pre-goth and goth phase at all. No, and it's also, you know, for, if you want to call it poppy, it's a pretty slow tempo for a pop song, poppy song, for a happy song. And I think they, they do this dance often where you feel happy even though it's a miserable feel to the song. Like it's, <laughs> it does, I don't know how that happens, but maybe that's, part of what goth is oh man this is such a fun one it does it does feel like slippery people or something yeah right that's cool i'm loving the drums The drums that they do later, Billy, are 
It's one of those kits you see when you go to the show. It's like 50,000 toms like oh, all over the place. I'm like a, like, like a Neil Peart land. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never understood that, man. Like, I can't play drums well with a five piece. Like, what is that about? Anyway. I'm exaggerating. It's not as bad as that, but he, he had a lot back in... Uh, huh. For like disintegration and for disintegration and for wish, they were they were big kits. Guys, the next song is I'm really going for the pedestrian pick on my next song. Here we go. I'm okay with that. It better be just, just like, like heaven. heaven. <laughs> Off of kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. It's not bad, though. It's such an amazing song. Friday I'm in Love would be Pedestrian. Okay. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is the one, this might be one of their best, one could argue. I mean, Beto did it, right? Oh, did he? Yeah. I didn't know that. Especially this iconic um, descending guitar thing that he does. Yeah. My band covered this in 92. I think we got that phaser effect going on the descending guitar riff. I love the tempo. Like, it's a very upbeat song. I honestly, like, the emotional impact of the song is, like, about being a teenager in love. And it really translates like if you just listen to the lyrics it really translates and it's an amazing thing that's it that's why i picked it a lot of his songs are these little love stories Mm -hmm. so when it's this upbeat and this um is it still fit in the same genre or does it depart that and it this is i guess one of the questions yeah i feel like this is a pop song It might be like a pop song with a goth background. I don't know. It's not a pop song like Michael Jackson is a pop song. It's, yeah, no, it's hard yeah. for me to separate it. I mean, if it were only goth and only the downer stuff, then it would just be Bauhaus, right? With the one song and the, or a few other songs and always feeling and sounding the same. They have a long catalog and they definitely didn't stay in one spot. Do you like this one, Waldron? I, I don't. I don't actively hate the song. <laughs> I recognize it as being fun, and I recognize it as being iconic. Let's call it iconic and not pedestrian. Right, I like it that. too much to call it pedestrian. This is the lineup that's I, like their all-star team. This time period, uh, he's got his brother-in-law there. He's got the great drummer. They're at the height of their powers. The bass player's back. I think at the time, they had two synths, and this instrumentation lineup stays like this for this album disintegration and wish and that's like their other that's the other side of their their little three group Uh uh-huh this is was hard for me because i have to limit it to three but i think in the phase we're talking right now that you're in now with the big sound of the cure the last album has sort of an unhidden gem that isn't really touted that much it's a long song, so you got to pardon that. But it's huge, and it starts big, and somehow it just keeps growing, even though it starts in kind of a big spot. Is this what you would call their very best? This would be my number one pick. Let's play it. This is The Edge of the Deep Green Sea. 
it's just a big orchestral goth song in my ears. Off the album? Uh, Wish. From 1992. Now we're in the 90s. I have a tough time hearing this and not getting worked up over it. (laughs) (laughs) I get emotional, Bill. Yeah, yeah, I like it. That's good. If we cut you, you'll bleed. sure that this is Mary's favorite. Usually, I'll talk to my wife, Mary, and say, she'll be like, who are you guys going to record tonight? And I'll be like, this band or that band. And never until I said, we're doing The Cure, has she really actively like gotten interested in it and then like opened up her phone and started looking at the songs that she loved. I think that it, it made me kind of question whether I should listen to her more instead of just playing a lot of music, because like... <laughs> She's got a love for this from like when she was younger. This is her favorite album, Wish. And she just never played it for me. And she doesn't really. Maybe it's because I should shut up more. Mm. So this is an emotional impact song for you then, Stephen. Not for a specific reason, but just for the way it builds his voice is like super Robert Smith. He's almost yell singing. There are bands that you fall in love with and then it's almost an adolescent adventure and then mm-hmm. it's hard to carry them into your adulthood. Mm. Um, and I know for Wish, it sort of does tail off on like, all right, you know, I'm in my 20s now, <laughs> at least for me. So I would call this vocal performance like super classic Robert Smith sound. Yeah. How would I describe a voice that sounds sort of distinctive and the same in every single song? My classic example of this that I can't stand is, um, do you know the band The Crash Test Dummies? <laughs> yeah. Remember them? I wouldn't have I wouldn't have remembered them had you not just brought them up. <laughs> right. So they had that one song that everyone loved, which was kind of cool. But then every other song had exactly that same voice and it just didn't carry. And I might have lumped The Cure into that same kind of thing because I mean Robert Smith has this voice. It's this it, you can tell it's him. Yeah. But on the other hand, what about Morphine? Like um, that whole band has the same sound. Uh, Mark Sandman same every single song and I still love it I eat it up so like what is it about like one sound that just sort of gets into your soul and you can just listen to it over and over and it doesn't seem tiresome or old He's well known for having a distinctive voice and I've always considered it just one of the instruments like I was saying before I don't know. I think that it's a love it, hate it sort of thing. So if there weren't, if a bunch of ding dongs weren't talking over it, these kind of songs are so long they get you get pulled in to the imagery that he's creating, and at the end he just sort of, I don't know, he just wraps it up in a pretty poignant way regarding the story that he's been singing about. If you like ding dong 
uh, podcasters talking over really long songs, then you're really going to love the traffic episode, which hasn't, <laughs> <laughs> which which hasn't yet dropped. But it's the same idea: eleven minute songs, and we're just talking <laughs> the whole time. I feel like we should be, you know, listening to the emotional impact part. Oh, just that right there. She slips her dress like a flag to the floor. That's visual. Great line. Totally. It can be hard to go to go there with him if you're not sort of set set up emotionally and and say chronologically to do it. You need to be in the right mindset. Well, it's funny. I mean, I feel like when some style of music or artistic perspective resonates with you it can keep resonating for you even if it isn't yeah varying that much right that's cool steven Waldron, do you have revenge? What is revenge? What? <laughs> so the revenge is if you didn't pick the song that is actually their very best, and I'll come in with revenge. I see, I see. Oh, the pomposity. <laughs> Wait, how is, how is that? Quanti- how is, how do we, what is, help me with that? What is really, wait, wait, by what's, is it like Rolling Stone? No, it's by Waldron. Oh, right, right. It's not, I was, I was wondering. I decide. It's the voice of Waldron. <laughs> I just ah, see. Obviously. Come on. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Are you suggesting it's not Edge of the it's not Edge of the Deep Green? Asserting that it is not. Now you okay. officially it will be. That will be their very best. The giant playlist we have of all of their very best songs. You have chosen that song and that Edge of the Deep Green Sea or whatever it's called will be in the list. But however, the actual very best one is this thing from Disintegration, called Lullaby. It's creepy. I think it's creepy if you try to listen to the lyrics. I, you know, it doesn't strike me as creepy in terms of the content of the music. Like, no, but he does, in the mix, he does an entire track of his breath. does a track i'm sorry what he does a track of his breathing con- like the, his breathing's in it the whole time from front to end <laughs> i like that that's a great call out so billy is it decided for the cure i mean i think it might be i would i would invite steven to make some proclamations steven this is your opportunity to tell us What's the very best Cure album and the very best Cure song? For personal, are we talking personal or are we talking? It's always it's always a bit of a mix between yeah. the subjective and the objective. And Waldron would tell you that he can tell you what the very best song is. So for for the rest of humanity, I would say 
I would put Wish as the best album over Disintegration. Oh, interesting. Okay. But for you, you'd say... Pornography. Pornography. He correctly identifies the difference between my very favorite and their very best. Well, the very besties should get in touch. We have Instagram. We have Facebook. It's at their very best in both of those. And you should send email with complaints. Not about Steven. Be nice. You can only complain about Waldron. <laughs> if, if you have complaints about <laughs> Bill, false at their very best. You really don't. Dot com. And um, there's a website, theirverybest.com. Why would anyone want to go to the website, Waldron? Was there anything of interest on the website? Billy, you know very well. Um, I do. I do. I'll answer. I'll answer my question. There are playlists. <laughs> and this episode, there will be a playlist. And there's also a master playlist for the very best song of all the different shows we've done. You can listen to one playlist that's just got the best song from each episode. That's exciting. I mean, come on. Steven, I wonder if you would like to build like a, uh, what do we call it? Super extended playlist. Are you saying you want me to make a cure mixtape for your website? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you want. Yeah. That's yeah. it. The Cure does seem like a good band for mixtapes, too. So leave us a review, please. We love your reviews. We're always grateful for the reviews. You know, I mean, there are a lot of people listening to this show from all the lands. I could I could tell you some places where they're listening. What are the global hotspots, Billy? I see people listening in Fairfax, Virginia, Washington, D.C., Greensboro, North Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, a lot of New York. A lot of East Coast. A lot of people in New York listening to Talking Heads. Nice, dude. Lots of, oh, Culpeper, Virginia, Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, suddenly we're huge in the South. Greensboro. Oh, again, our favorite fan in Singapore is listening to Morphine Part 2. Singapore, we're on drugs. Singapore, Booker T. Jones. I want our Singapore fan to come out of the woodwork and send us, I know. you know, to contact at their very best and say, where I'm in Singapore. Where are you, Singapore? Reach out. We want to meet you. Thank you all for listening. And also Brussels. Sounds like we're huge in Singapore. And Brussels. <laughs> Steven, thank you so much, man. It's been good to meet you. And thanks for coming on and, and showing us what's up. You're very welcome. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Steven. It's great to have you here. It's awesome. Thanks, Billy. We're going to do more of these, so beware. Watch out! We'll be offering more unsolicited wrong opinions in the near future. I'm Waldron. And I'm Bill. And thanks for listening to Their Very Best. <laughs> <laughs>